to uh, to speak today, just to share with us. And I, you know, it's been a, I think it's been about five weeks since I've spoken, and uh, not that it's about the speaking, but it's about just okay. What do you want to say, Father? And um, some of you have heard of the school of prophetic preaching or the school of anointing, as it's called, and you're there for a couple of weeks with James, mostly James and others, but. You learn what anointing is, and anointing isn't come up with a message that goes mind to mind. You realize it's just the life of God coming through you. And um, and so I just encourage us all that there's a reason we're all here this morning, the few of us that are here that, uh, and, I, and I just want to share with clarity what he said to me. And you'll be able to receive this in your hearts. Maybe it's a seed. Maybe it's a dormant seed. Maybe it's an active seed. Um, I'm planting. I planted about 500,000 seeds last few days ago, getting ready to put them outside. And um, every day I have to remember to water them. And uh, if they don't, you know, if they dry up, that's it kind of thing. And uh, and then I also bought some already planted um, tomato plants from Costco. They were like 11 bucks and fully grown with the flowers already to start their little cherry tomatoes. and Sure enough, it went below zero one night, and I forgot to bring them in. I'd left them outside. Long story short, I now have four pots, two that are growing because I had to go back and get two more, and the two that are all wilted and sitting there, and I'm, I'm now praying over them. <laughs> okay, grow, grow. Will you come back? Can you be restored? You know, And it just reminds me that how important the seasons of our life are, especially now, the spring, if you will, the watering of these seeds, the watering of the things he's put in our hearts. And if you want to know what he's doing in your heart, it doesn't take long. You just need some friends around you to ask you, what is he doing in your heart? And it's incredibly challenging for people to answer that sometimes when they're not used to doing that. I know when my mom, my mom, <laughs> my, my, my wife, my mom, my wife, when she used to ask me, so what's, uh, what's, what's he doing in your heart? And I would like, uh, and I would share, and she goes, that's, you're just giving a weather report. You know, you're just giving me the facts. The, and I, I really didn't know how to describe it. It seems so, so raw. So being what you call naked and unafraid. It was one thing to open your heart, but it's a whole other thing. If you don't feel, if you feel afraid, you won't. If you don't feel safe, you won't. And so for me, that was, uh, that's been a long journey of learning how to open my heart. But um, so he, I asked him, I said, so what do you want to say? You know? Um, uh, and he said, tell, tell everyone, including yourself, Brent, that I'm preparing you. I am preparing you. And you go, okay, for what? Well, we'll get to that, but I'm preparing you. And he reminded me what he told us a couple of years ago. If you want to know what I'm doing in my church, if you don't know what I'm doing in you, well, you can go ask someone around you, what am I doing in them? And you're going to find out it's very similar. I'm preparing them. And, uh, well, preparing us for what? And he reminded me what he told us just a few months ago, prepare for the unknown. Okay. <laughs> These are all kind of riddles in some respects, but they're, the fact is we're tend to grow in a culture. We're prepared to kind of accomplish things. So one of the things that's come up for me this week, and I just saw it was this reality of, how many people have um, been frustrated in their journey. So um, 
and growing in it and processing it and wondering why. And so one of the comments we went through on Thursday night, Lance has been leading this, the men on a Thursday night through uh, John Eldridge's. And this last one was one of my favorites because it was on adventure. And he talked about the three levels of adventure and uh, casual adventure that nourishes your soul. Go for a walk, go for a hike, go for a bike ride, go for a play a guitar, do whatever. Like you just do whatever, an adventure of trying something new perhaps or doing something again and again, but it's different and it nurses you. And the other adventure he called it was the critical adventure. Those are the ones where it's kind of like Jesus saying to the disciples, follow me, <laughs> like lose your life, uh, make this step. No coercion, these small whispers that suggest things in your heart that you've been longing for, but you're kind of fearful perhaps to take them. But when you do, amazing things will be revealed. And then there's the last one, which is he calls the crucial one, which is what we've been talking mostly about for months, is this walk with him as a son or daughter, hearing his voice and uh, responding to him in the day of each day in that adventure. And, um, and I think about the reality of how we go through that. And Sue, you were talking about this morning, something's still there. You know, the, the disciples, you know, if you've watched a little bit of The Chosen, you realize how much they're choosing to go on the adventure and they take these steps. There's some doubt, some questions. They're not quite sure what it's about. They're kind of think it's about overthrowing the Romans. And some of them are openly asking, when is like to know why? We've been occupied for so long, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm not sure what season it'll get to or whatever when it gets to them in the boat. But remember that time in the boat where the disciples, these are fishermen, for the most part, they know the waters and the storms come up. So if God tends to work on us through a couple of ways and shapes us. One is through the adventures that he draws us into. He leads us into just the nurturement part. It's just the refreshing and then there's a the place of taking adventures. Like I know people that have started NGOs and, and have put their whole life trajectory changed over one simple decision. This week, God took me back to the simple decisions for me, making just one decision to say yes to him, changed the trajectory of my life forever. And I look back at that and I realize, wow, these are, these are these little whispers, these little the GPS moments where you miss the turn, but it recalculates, you know, and there's another whisper, another whisper. And it's your heart's posture to lean into that. And um, one of the, uh, the things that comes along, though, is not just the adventures, but the storms. And, uh, and we're all in the whole world's in a massive storm. And uh, the storms come that we don't choose them as adventure, but they come to us. And it's interesting, a, a friend of ours who uh, he's a doctor, he's down in the States, and he um, has a very, very big vision and uh, Peggy, you'd probably know this individual if I said his name, but he, uh, he's been in the ministry and out of the ministry. He's an uh, incredibly bright gentleman. He's been to an A and a B school in the sense, and that really challenged him and changed his trajectory. And, and um, he's got a, he just started a brand new business that just really to launch in March of last year and boom, pandemic hit. And now, and he said something this week that made me think about it. And he said, you know, when we think of being in the storm, oftentimes in the storm, we see the picture, the example that the disciples are in the boat. And what does the storm do? It brings up things in their heart. They get fearful. They get concerned. And they, 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 they wonder. They're starting to question. 
is Jesus really care for them? Like they don't yet have yet a trusting heart and basically said, you know, Jesus rests in the storm. And that's just an incredible picture for any of us that God is not upset of what's going on in the storms. He's totally at peace. One of my favorite verses, I just, it's in Luke where the crowds are going to come and Jesus says, they're come, they're going to try and force him to be king. Like that, that's an interesting thought that we're going to, out of our control, out of our uneasiness, our anxiety, our wonderment about our lives, we're focused on ourselves. We'll try and control the outside. Those guys are going to try and control by, okay, here we've got a savior. We're going to put him in place. The guys in the boat, they just said, you know, wake him up. Don't you care? And it makes me think, have, have I in this pandemic, you, we're going to have some great 2020 hind vision as to what God's been doing in our hearts. But part of it is, you know, am I at times like the disciple and I'm more interested about trying to calm the storm so that I can live, go on living in a, in a sense of comfort, in a sense of peace externally? Or <laughs> am I, or would I, or should I more interested in being in tune with, with, with what the Father is doing and live in the daily adventure of that regardless of the storm? It's one of those questions that it's a revealing question about our state of my heart. If I'm in the day and today in the adventure, I'd love to be there. It's kind of like we've all kind of said it. This is where we can see ourselves, where we want to be. Matt, you referred to it. But yet there's there's things in our heart that are still coming up. So I, I realize there's storms, and then there's what he's doing in us in the midst of the storm, and then there's the adventures, what he does in the midst of the adventure. And so I came across this little video last week, and it's, it's pretty old school. Um, the, <laughs> it's probably shot on very old cameras, but... Um, it really spoke to me. I sent it to a few people and some have been texting me back and forth and it's been a great leap off conversation, but it's one of the things he told me last night. I said, you know, just remind me what you want to say while well, I'm preparing them. Describe, describe what, how my, how my son described me. He described him as a gardener. Interesting enough. God, God is the gardener where the, uh, Jesus is the vine and he prunes and he does all these things so that our joy would be full and remain. The very essence of us would be full and remain. Not only is he a gardener, but he also is a potter. And uh, that's a little video I want to show. Some of you might have seen this. And, and then I'm going to leap off of that. But just open your heart and imagine the reality that we're the clay. Isaiah 64 verse 8 says this. God, you are our father. We, we are the clay and you are our potter. All of us are what you made us. Paul goes on and tells the, in Romans, you know, that, you know, the clay doesn't get to talk back to the potter. <laughs> it doesn't tell the potter what to do. It doesn't, it, it just lets the potter have his way. And the amount of risk that we are willing to take to live with in living in the adventure is equivalent is completely directly proportional to how much our heart trusts him. Is he really good? Is he here for me? Does he really have my, my life in his hands? If so, how come, why is this happening to me? 
Why is this storm going on so long? Why did that? And it brings up the things in our lives that are, you know, crucial. So I'm going to show this little video and just drink it in. It's about eight minutes long, but um, in probably it was done in the, I don't know, maybe the seventies or something like that, but uh, it's really picks up on this part. So here we go. Just remember you're the clay. First thing they have to do is they have. Here we go. Now, when a potter is going to make something on their wheel, the first thing they have to do is they have to go out and dig up some clay. Now, when a potter goes out looking for their clay, do you know where they look for it? They look for it in the swamp. <laughs> they look for it in and around the wetlands. Now, when a potter goes out looking for their clay, they're not looking for clay that's going to be perfect. It's got to be just perfect. And do you know why the potter does not go out looking for perfect clay? Because the potter knows there is no such thing as perfect clay. You see, the potter knows... When they dig this clay up out of the swamp, it's going to have all sorts of muck and all sorts of mire and all sorts of junk inside of it. And the potter understands that dealing with all that junk that's inside the clay, that's just all part of the formation process. And now the way this process looks is you simply put your clay on your work surface and you, you push down on it. You like that, you squish it. And you push it forward because you're trying to stretch it. And then you roll it back on itself and you twist it and you drive it down into itself and through itself. And you're going to continue this process until this clay has been prepared. If this clay could talk to me as I'm taking it through this uh, crisis moment here, uh, what do you think this clay would be saying to me right about now? Uh. Yeah, yeah, it'd be saying, ow, stop, potter, that hurts me. Why, if you were really a loving potter, you wouldn't be letting this happen to me. That's what it would be saying, because this is a really painful process for the clay. But if I, as the potter, if I could talk to this clay in a way that the clay would, could understand me, you know what I would say to this clay in response to its cries of pain and protest? I would say, I would say, clay, I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> but once the clay's been ready here, we're going to take it over and we're going to put it on the wheel. Let's see if we can make something with it. Now that the clay has been centered, it's ready for the next phase, and that is we're going to open it now. The way the potter opens the clay is you take your fingers, and you're going to plunge them right into the heart of this clay. And then you're going to draw this clay open. Now, this is a very intimate time between the potter and the clay. This searching out process, it reminds me of the heart of the psalmist. Listen to what the psalmist prays in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. He prays, search me, O God, and know my heart. And then you're going to begin this process of drawing the clay upward. And this is a process. And like any process, it takes time. This process here reminds me of James chapter 4 verse 10 humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you and we can see the work that's taking place on the inside of the clay we can see it by the way it's reflected on the outside of the clay now look at this is exactly how God works. 
God works from the inside out. Religion works from the outside in. Yeah. A vessel of honor right here. Come on, church. Yes. Amen. Now, if I want to use this clay for the potential for which I have just destined it, I got to take it through a few more stages. The first thing I have to do is I have to set its potential. Now, the way the potter sets the clay's potential is I have to take this clay now and I must, I must put it into the fire. But when this thing comes out of the fire, it's going to look like this. See, fire has a way of purifying things, doesn't it? Fire gives strength to things, doesn't it? This pot's got a song now. You read the second half of Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, and you will discover that as you are faithful to God going through your fire, God has a way of showing up in the middle of your fire. And when you come out of that thing, and you're going to come out, listen, friend, your life's going to have a song. I let this piece dry out. You see, this is the person who's dried out spiritually. So what does that mean for this clay now? Does that mean that this clay is now hopeless? No. No, this clay isn't hopeless. This clay is just hard. You know what happens to clay when it dries out? It gets really brittle. I'm going to take this dry clay and I, I am going to break it. Here, you see this clay here? This clay here, this is the person who loves God they love the potter. This is a little pebble. Look, I'm going to stick it in the clay. Okay. So this is a wound in this person's life. Maybe this person was molested when they were little. Maybe they went through a painful divorce. Uh, maybe they were abandoned when they were little. That's one of my wounds. Now I'm going to tell you three reasons why it is so important that you heal from that wound that's in your soul. And so here you are, this is you. You're limping through your life, trying to do the best you can, trying to love Jesus, be a good person, and then one day, when you least expect it, your life comes crashing down around you. And you sit here in your brokenness, and you sit here in your confusion, and you say, God, why me? Why me, God? Why me? Did your life ever look like this? And you finally cry out to God and you say, God, help me. I'm tired of trying to control everything and everybody. God, help me. And God, who the Bible tells us in Psalm 46, 1, He is a very present help in our time of trouble. God, He comes along and He picks you up. Oh, He picks you up. He picks up your broken life with all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your addictions, all your messed up relationships. He picks up your broken life. And he carries you over to his special place. And there he's going to dry your tears. And then he's going to start to bring you through a process. A process of getting your life put back together again. And then when the Father is ready, he's going to take your life life that was once so broken and he's going to put you back on the wheel but he puts all of you on the wheel all of you because God wants all of you 
He's going to begin to lift you. Once again, he's going to lift you. The potter never gives up on the clay. So God lifts you up out of your brokenness. And he gives you a calling. And then he's going to do something with your life. He's going to give your life a calling. And then he's going to give your life an equipping. Why does he do this? He does this so that you can now take from your broken life and you can pour you can pour from your broken life into the life of another broken person so you could bring them into a relationship with the potter so they can find healing for their broken life just like you found for yours come on that's the gospel right there there is a reality to um all the scripture references all the metaphors that god uses that he lifted us up from miry clay First off, you're chosen. He found you. He found us. Right? John 15, 16 to 17. Yeah, you didn't choose me. Joan, Uzo, Richard, Ann, Alex, Rico, Rick, Peggy, Kate, Matt, Jose, Wendy, Arlene, Lutz, John, Jan, Kevin, Joy, Lance. Jen, Brandt, Rick. We didn't choose him. He chose us. He dug us out. Completely out of a mess. A complete mess. He says, I've chosen you and I've commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. Not a have to. It's a natural byproduct of being prepared by him. And your fruit will last, he says, because wherever and whatever you ask of my father, he'll give it to you. And he says, that, here's my parting command, love one another. The world will know by the love, not by the knowledge, not by the principles, not by the education, but by the love. Not that we come up with it, it's coming out of us. It's the same love of the hands that, that molded us, you know. Psalm 139, 23, 24, he quoted that, and it's an incredible couple of verses. Listen to this with your heart. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Put me to the test. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's a path of pain that I'm walking on. And lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way. That path that brings me back to you. That part when he takes the hands and he puts his hands in the center and he starts to go into the center, into the heart of the clay... And he says it's the most intimate, it's the most intimate place between the potter and the clay. And for many of us, we've, we were aware of the healing of the heart ministries, the capacity of the spirit to do that through the hands of others. 
And uh, what's incredible how intimate it is. I think for, for very good reasons, I would have avoided mine, not that there was that many opportunities, because there wasn't that many people that had the sensitivity. They had the answers. Go memorize scripture, go do this, go do that. But the reality, it, 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 was, it took, in my case, stepping into the adventure of what was deep in my heart, but totally frightened me. And as I began to do it, one of those ones was stepping into them, into being a bivocational, working 60 hours-ish downtown and then trying to figure out how to help a young community on a campus. No clue. Didn't take long before the, the, the burnout came, before I felt I couldn't, you know, I was one of those. I, I, was, I was texting someone the other day that the collapse of the clay, you know, the, it gets brittle and it gets hard and it's drying out. There's not enough moisture. And all of a sudden, you collapse, you feel it. And, we, and then the condemnation comes, but there is no condemnation for in him. But we don't know that in our heart. We're just, we tried hard to do our things for Jesus. We tried to do it, whether it was a relationship or balancing all the plates or do it all. And it claps in. And then he, I love how he just takes that picture. I always wanted to do, I, I, I used to do clay like that on a wheel at school. And and I thought, how cool would that be to do that in front of the church one day? And it just showed, but I, I, did, I could never get to the place where I thought I was going to be that good and that patient to build that glob up into the vessel that he did. And you realize how much patience it takes, the long suffering of God that, that does it. It's just incredible, you know? So in the seeds of our heart, if you're, if you're in that place where you're not yet fully feel commissioned or the joy is not there. That fruit is not yet fully at the surface in our lives. It's okay to pray this prayer. Go to Psalm 139 and 23, 24. And I think even David says it, you know, Father, see, search me and see if there's any unclean way in me. Not unclean thought or action, but the way. What, what are the ways that I'm, I'm living that perhaps are not aligning with you? But your ways are always, I know them full well that I know that you're loved, but I don't know how much of that's fully yet transformed me. And so this, this picture is amazing. Paul describes it this way in, in Corinthians, the second letter, verses six and seven, he says, for God who said, let brilliant line light shine out of darkness. He said that let light shine out of darkness. He is the one who has cascaded his light into us. The brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Jesus. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that this immeasurable power will be seen as God's, not ours. I've always thought, I think, in my young Christianity that it was my power. I'm supposed to get strong. I'm supposed to bring the kingdom to bear following him. But no, no, we're just common clay jars that carry his glorious treasure within so that his immeasurable power will be seen. It's always been about his, him being seen. It's a, just recently, it's, we just posted it on the U Church website. Arlene and Lutz and I, this time I put your names in it. 
but it's it's the post from Carol Wimber. It's a about a 46-minute post of the legacy, the history of how God took these unreligious hearts and poured his spirit into them and how it touched the world. And things like Alpha, you know, with it, just all these different things. And I was watching it and I was going, oh my gosh, they were so imperfect. And and there's so many things that that are going on. And one of the key statements is that at the very end where God speaks to Carol in a worship time and says to her heart, you know, my sheep hear my voice. And he says to her, Carol, you've been seeing this all wrong. You've been looking at this all the wrong way. And yet the amount of life and miracles, like the, the vineyard in a sense was halfway between Pentecostal and evangelical. It was, it was this, they called it the happy middle. It was kind of like this calm middle. And, um, and watching the spirit of God come. And so many people that have affected our local community here. So John and John and Reed Hutchinson were elders there for a while. Brent Clark, Arlene Lutz, you were there. Aunt Olive, uh, Wendy, there's lots of people that have been exposed to not the movement, because it's not about movements, not about denominations. It was about what the spirit of God was pouring out at that time, grace and mercy. And life, and life started just coming out of people. And then for some, it kind of shifts like it typically does in our own hearts. We start to wonder about all these rocks that are still in our clay. All these pebbles that are still down inside that we don't even know they're there. And then as we start to become more and more growing up in him, if you will, and being vessels, it's something collapses. And instead of being encouraged to get back on the potter's wheel and to go through that delicate process again to go into we're often ostracized. We often take ourselves out of the game. We'll, we'll remove ourselves from what he's really doing and say, well, I gave it my best shot. You know, I'm done with quote religion. I'm done with church. I'm done with all of that stuff. And as, as, as a gentleman who's doing the video says, you know, God's works from the inside out, not from the outside in religion works from the outside in religion says you need to clean up your act. Religion says you need to be better at and fill in the blank. But that's not him. And so Carol Wimber is sitting there and she's hoping and believing for, in the sense of the presence of God, where are the torches? Where are the people that are going to take this and light this up again? And for those who know the prophetic words over the nation of Canada, just there's lots of them that talk about this fire going from east to west and west to east. And, and, but the fire isn't some mystical, it's the presence of God is not external to us. He's in us. We're temples. We're that earthen clay vessel that now this treasure, his very nature is growing in us. And then the question is that when she was asking, so when does, when does it pour out? When does it start to affect others? And that's when he says to her, you know, you're seeing this the wrong way. You've always thought it was about getting better, more presentable to God, more holy. If you get a chance to listen to James Jordan talk about what holiness is, you'll find that it's completely different from what most people have been described to being. You're becoming more and more like this. It just means to be different. And everything of this world is not trying to be a better version of ourselves. It's actually completely, unless you lose your life, you can't find it. Unless there's, It's not talking about per perfection. It's a talking about transition. And so... What's interesting, he says to her, you've got it all wrong, Carol. You've seen it all wrong. What's really going on, it's always been about my mercy and my grace. Always been about that. 
And I, and I started, as you heard that, I've, I've listened to it four or five times, especially that last few minutes, and realizing how much I knew that when I came to faith somehow, but that disappeared after a while. And now I'm, I'm supposed to work on being a better at and fill in the blank. And I have to be more presentable and I have to, not have to, but I want to. I want to be that vessel that pours out. I want to be that person. And yet, as we hear many stories of people around the world, there's a crash. There's a, a realization. There's still something in the clay. And so he's working on us. Um, we're common clay jars and carry this glorious treasure. The question, the seeds that are growing in all of us is, is what this treasure is. This treasure is the kingdom within this kingdom of his very nature, his very spirit is within us. I spent, I don't know, five or six hours this week just reading up on the Holy Spirit and how the spirit, how she, she's got more feminine characteristics in scripture than masculine and how she works on behalf of the father and how the spirit, when we're led by the spirit, we think of it as some, some, non-nensical thing sometimes but it's a it's a person <laughs> it's part of the godhead and that has been released into us paul says to the ephesians this way he says you know you know what this treasure is you know what this is by receiving this and getting his life and walking this it means that god is transforming each of you into the holy of holies his dwelling place through the power of the holy spirit living in you those verses, we've heard them a thousand different times and read them, but the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think some people, I used to think that I was told or taught that the power of the Holy Spirit was seeing people rise from the dead. When I, my, my last trip to Sierra Leone, I had Jordan Mickelson with me and Sean Tuff, and we had the privilege of sitting and speaking at this 4,000 church planners, and many of them had experienced incredible miracles. And the one gentleman we sat with for a few hours had raised someone from the dead, just went and laid, God told him to go lay on this Muslim chief's wife during her funeral service. And she got her breath back and just came right alive. And, and we're like, that's incredible. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is not interested in those stories. He wants to find out about something else about connection and life and we're going what no it's about the that's the power no this verse is not talking about that power that does things it's talking about the power that's in us living through the power of the spirit the spirit is what it's revealing god's revealing his nature his love um he talked about the fire don't have to go into that one very much but fire has good qualities it keeps us warm the fire the pillar of fire in the in the wilderness but it also is that refining fire that talks about in scripture it starts to bring out and bring those impurities and when it fires them they become the beauty of the actual shell itself i love the part that the potter never gives up on the clay and the clay cannot shape itself he wants that new wine and he desires it and he is pouring new wine, not into an old wineskin, the heart. He pours it into a new wineskin and that word new for, as you know, for new wineskin means renewed. He takes the word for new wine, the word new there is brand new spanking new, two different Greek words, different words. He puts brand new, fresh life, constantly teeming with life 
into renewed receptacles, our hearts, into that treasure. That's the treasure that's being poured into. Um, he pours his very nature into you. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us. The helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth. Now, one, this part's going to be interesting because I believe what, one of the things he showed me, just tell him I'm, I'm the potter. Tell him I'm the gardener. And tell him, let them know I'm preparing each one of you. And this is how I'm doing it. My son came and told you someone greater is coming. The helper, the spirit of truth. One name is the spirit of remembrance. It's everything about Jesus' life was led in the spirit. He was birthed by the spirit. He was led by the spirit. He was full of the spirit. He was resurrected by the spirit. Everything about Jesus' life was the spirit was the spirit in him. It's the resurrection life is the spirit. And then we're being transformed, our vessel, to be able to contain that same spirit and let it do the same thing. We're becoming just like Jesus, to have a heart, an inner intimate part that is so pure, so full of his love by the spirit, we're transformed. Now, Paul's trying to describe this to the Corinthians, and I want you to, your heart, listen to this really carefully about the Spirit. He says this, Now, God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. Revelation, realities, profound realities, are revealed to us by the Spirit. Yes, he's revealed to us his innermost heart, and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. His innermost heart and deepest ministries through the Holy Spirit, who constantly explores all things. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? Your spirit the who you are, biblically, your heart knows more about you than your mind does. It knows everything about you. It was with him before. It will continue after. That's why God talks constantly about the heart. And how does the spirit, the spirit, well, the Holy Spirit knows. Well, we're going to find out what he knows. But your spirit knows everything, the hidden impulses, everything about us. He goes on to say, the same is true with God. Now hear, hear this. His thoughts and secrets are fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. The Father, his spirit, the Holy Spirit knows all these things about him. For we did not receive the spirit of the world system, but the spirit of God. So that, and here's the kicker, so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace that he's lavished upon us. So that we can come to understand and experience all that grace he's lavished upon us. I'm so grateful for Carol Wimber, for her at her stage of life, 
to say all my theology changed in one afternoon that I thought it was about becoming more, becoming more prepared, more presentable to God, getting more cleaned up, if you will, getting whatever that looks like for her. But he said, no, it's always been about my grace and my mercy. The Holy Spirit is coming to reveal into us, it's revealing the very nature, the very everything about the Spirit of God, the very Spirit of God of the Father is now in us. Jesus was so full of the Spirit, what did what does it say that he was like? The way he lived was such that he was the perfect representation. His life exuded. What was on the outside had all come from the inside of what the Spirit did. And I, I could give you a hundred verses on this, but it would just take too long about what the Spirit and how the Spirit's doing this. We've had this, I don't know where you grew up in the charismatic side of things, but if you were on the super on the Pentecostal side, way over there, you would have been trained perhaps or taught that the Spirit the Holy Spirit comes to give us power to live our lives. There's a certain truth in that. It's also power to go do the works of God. There's a certain truth in that as well. But it comes, the primary thing that God poured his Spirit out is what Paul told us, the first mention of the Spirit in Romans 5, was to shed the love of God in, abroad into our hearts. My wife talked about it last week, the mothering part of God's heart, that love that that needs us, that love that, that while we're going through the process in the adventure of, of being on the wheel, wow, this is so hard. How come my life's, how come it's not together? I claim those verses. I heard those things. I've been to the tape. I've been to the conference. I've been to an A school or 10 or whatever. How come it yet hasn't come to the surface? And all the potter says, if you only knew the plans I have for you, I've got all these good works stored up for you. Let me continue to prepare you the interesting thing about clay is it's not alive but it's a great metaphor of, of a vessel but paul talks about the being a live sacrifice being a living sacrifice and my my first pastor used to tell me he said the problem with living sacrifices brand is we keep crawling off the the potter's wheel we keep crawling off this you know because now we got enough to go run a little further um luke 21 17 Jesus is now telling the guys a little bit more about what's happening inside of them. He says this, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. It's around you and it's going to be within you, inside of that clay vessel. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is going to be within you. It's not about eating and drinking, but now listen, righteousness, peace, and joy in what? In the Holy Spirit. You can't have right, righteousness means right relationship. The, the, the number one passion of the, of the Holy Spirit is she is committed to relationship, to reconnection, to, to be constantly, the whole empowerment of Jesus, the whole life of Jesus was for us to discover that we could have that relationship with the Father, all from the Spirit, through the Spirit. The Spirit's passion is the connectingness, right relationship, other-centered love, respect, honor. That's the kingdom of God is that righteousness, that relationship. And then it's peace. And this, this peace is a cessation of all strife and all conflict. It's not just a peace for a moment. It's like full-on peace. And when those two work together, it has no, <laughs> 
it can't even, it just naturally creates room for joy. If you're not at peace, it's hard to be joyful. <laughs> if you're in worry, or if, you know, good old Psalm 139, if, if that, you know, search me and see if there's any unclean way, if there's something in me that is anxious, because when you're anxious, it's hard to have joy. You, you can't do it at the same time. And uh, I'm not telling us anything that we probably don't know in our heads, but he is telling us, I'm preparing you. I'm going to keep watering this in you. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. This means that God is transforming each of you into the Holy of Holies, his dwelling place, through the power of the Holy Spirit. His very spirit is coming into us. And years ago, if someone asked me, what is the most important thing about you, church? And I probably would have said it would about expanding the kingdom somehow or, or uh, you know, I don't know, doing missions and doing things. But you know what? Now I know what it is. It's that love. It's the relationships. It's that which attracts us to one another and to others. It's what I'm experiencing just walking down, walking down the field these days and, and meeting a complete stranger who opens up their life to me. And they say, hey, I, you know, I've never had a father figure. Do you mind if I treat you like one? but more like a grandpa. <laughs> I was like, okay, you're calling me old. So uh, let's go there. And every walk, another, another layer comes up, being disowned by his parents, being just on and on it goes. And I go, oh my gosh, that same comfort we've been comforted in is going to come through us, what comes out of us. Your human spirit knows more about you than your mind knows, Right? Now, um, what is the Spirit doing us? What is He preparing us? What is He doing in other people? Well, the gifts and callings that that Potter referred to in, in the video, the callings of your life start to become more apparent. Uh, you discover them in the adventure. For me, one of the adventures was going and working in the corporate world downtown, and I, wasn't, I didn't chose that. I just followed his lead. And while I was there for 13 years, it didn't take long for me to realize this is not where I, I want to be. It's not, it's not who I am. My vice president at the time said, Hey, Brent, we're going to have development dialogues. We'd like to know where you think you see yourself in five years. And uh, we're, we're preparing to prepare people. And I, and I just, I couldn't, you know, the sheet of paper and you had to fill it out and, and I thought, I know what they're looking for. They're looking for, I'm going to say, I want to be, you know, a good leader in the company and I want to be this and I want to that and maybe they'll work towards it. And, but I couldn't bring myself to write it because it wasn't true in my heart. God had done enough in me to realize that this was not my, my place, not my, my, my longing to be. And so I wrote it down. I said, I don't know where I would be in the company in five years. <laughs> I wrote it right out. I said, but I do know what I want to become. I want to become a person of character, a person of substance. I want, to, I want to be able to do whatever I didn't want to use my Christianity. So, but wherever the life takes me, I said, wherever I'm led to, that I could actually, and I didn't know I was trying to describe sonship. <laughs> I was trying to describe now what we're beginning to drink in. I was, my heart was longing for it, to be like Jesus, to be able to go and say and do and live in a way that would have such an impact without being stressed or pressured or any of that stuff. And 
next thing I know, my senior VP sits with me and he goes, I said, I hope, I don't know if I answered that first one rightly, but I don't, I just know, I, I don't know where I will be. I just know it's more about the inner journey that I'm on, not the external one. At least that's, I hope that's okay. And he looked at me and he turned his head like this and, and he kind of whispered, he says, that's, he says, I wrote the same thing. <laughs> and he's, he's very close to being the CEO now of this multinational company. He knows five languages and he's one of these smart guys that grew up, his dad was a Catholic priest, you know, defrocked, if you will, and left the ministry. And he grew up pretty much atheistic. And he was, he's always been taken by my story. And every few years when we reconnect, out comes more of the inner journey, not about what, what's a, he, he now goes, he knows it's not about climbing the ladder. He never did think that way, but he can't think of what else is he to do. But you know what this spirit is doing? What the spirit of God is doing is very, his very nature. The Holy Spirit is revealing and showing him in, in our hearts and connecting us. And that's what communion comes from. It's what union comes from. And in that place, we're being matured, not into adults, but into mature sons and daughters. Because there's that calling and there's that gifting and he's placing us and preparing us. And there's something big coming. There's something big coming. I'm not a revivalist in the sense of always talking about it, but I do sense it. I've been sensing it for a long time and I just didn't know. And I don't know when, it's not about the when, but some people say it's coming pretty quickly. And it could be things happening even now in the post-pandemic. But I do know this. I don't want to be on the shelf. I don't want to be a dried up pot. <laughs> Put me through the fire. Take the risks, Brant. Go ahead. Now, how do you do that? Lance can tell you. It's John 10, 10. My sheep hear my voice. Listening to him and those little whispers are soapy. And it gets to this. This, this verse has become so so real for me but it's romans 8 uh, 14 it starts there and as paul is saying you know the maturity the mature sons another version say that, that those who are led of the spirit that's within you not some external presence around you but within you those who are led by the spirit are the sons of god that's that's the definition not that I become a son and I got the name and now I'm trying to figure out how to be led. It is when we're led by that, when we're in that dynamic relationship, we don't arrive. We keep growing at the, it's the eternal adventure of sonship. And so Paul is describing it this way. And he says, look, I haven't arrived yet. You know, in Philippians, I, I'm still on, I'm not claiming that, but I am with all my heart leaning forward into this. But this verse says that the mature children of God, are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. I've talked to enough people in the last few weeks that they've admittedly said, I'm not, no, don't know if I can hear God, let alone sense an impulse from the Spirit, a, a tweet, you know, a nudge or, or a, a name. Others are in different places. And that's why I think things like this is he wants to keep watering these seeds. He keeps wanting us to be fresh, nourished, responsive, to keep allowing ourselves to get under the spout of that water that keeps nourishing and keeps nourishing. And it's okay to not, to, to be dry. It's okay to be going through those seasons. And I love what he does. He takes us as soon as we say, help me, crying out to God, why me? And he puts us back on the wheel. 
and he keeps shaping and informing us. As we're growing, as we become more children, we're moved by the impulse of the spirit. You did not receive this the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of, quote, never being good enough. If you were to see the darkest parts of my heart or the lies that have, I was, I would say that's probably one of the biggest ones. I don't know if I'll, if I live up to what I want to be or become the fear of not being good enough, but that's not the spirit that he gave to us. He gave us the opposite of that. You have received a spirit of full acceptance. The Aramaic words behind that word acceptance translate sonship, basically consecrated children. The spirit of full acceptance is you are consecrated child. You're his, you're his beloved. You are it. This is who we are. It enfolds you into the family of God. Hmm. You don't attend a church. You don't show up on a Zoom call once in a while or do this. You, it's not about, hey, I wonder when the church is going to meet. You're, there's, well, let's change that word to what it really means. It, the ecclesia is the called out ones. Called out what? Called out to rule the world? Uh, well, called out to be family. And through love, the glory of God, when it saturates the earth, through our hearts, he's choosing us to be with them. Enough of this mystical, okay, God, just change the world because it's so hard. Wake up. Can't you see, God, that there's a big storm going on? And look at the pain. Look what's going on in Israel right now. Look what's going on in India. Let's, what's going on in Colombia? It's just overwhelming if you actually drink it in too much. And he's not, he's, he's not asleep. He's at rest, completely at peace. And I can tell you when my daughter was diagnosed with her cancer and I had my storm. It's, this one's out of my control. And I went walking and I said, okay, I need to know father, what are you saying? And he just said, I've got this. And the words came so peacefully. I didn't know what they meant, especially when it came back the second time. I was like, okay, you said you got this. I thought that meant we got through this and now it's back. And now this one's super serious. Like this is, can you explain to me what I got this means? And he just said it again. I've got this. He's not, he's not prone to showing me everything that he's doing. Cause sometimes I think to deal with my pain, I need to know the answers. I want to know the answers. And if the answers come, then somehow that's going to make me feel better, but they don't. Cause my heart isn't satisfied with an answer. It's, satisfied with his presence with his love you could we could come up with all the answers we could talk with the tongues of angels and and have all the wisdom and and lay it out before people and say this is why israel's going through this is why pandemic this is why people are freaking out about a vaccine or not or freaking out about the COVID itself or whatever it is and you could give all the answers there are a lot of people trying to do that but it's not taking the fear away it's not making the world peaceful. The opinions are massive. He took me through Psalm 73, I think it's Psalm 78, and I'm reading through all the 
the lamentations of a world gone crazy and this is what's going on and then it says and then your spirit penetrated my opinions <laughs> that one that one struck i realized i had opinions he says i don't I, it's not about opinions this is going to be about, about mercy and grace you know how many of us will potentially spend hours and hours and hours postulating, trying to figure out what's going on and coming up with it. And that versus becoming that vessel. I love how the disciples keep asking Jesus, so when are these Romans going to get kicked out? When is the kingdom coming? When are you going to step in? We've we got some people lined up to force you to be a king. We've got to get through and get on with getting back to the lives that we believe God's given to us, comfort and enjoyment and can we get there, please? And Jesus, you're it, man. You're the dude. Let's get you in that place. Let's get this all set up. And, and we'll help, man. Can I sit on your left? Can I sit on your right? And, and he just refuses to let him be bullied into or even allowing them to keep thinking that. He keeps slowly revealing, you know, you guys won't even actually be praying to me. You're going to be praying to my father. What? Yeah, because anything you ask of him, anything that's in alignment with me, truth come to pass he's describing mature sonship he's describing what mature brothers are he's describing a mature family because you're going to be like we're going to all carry if you will the dna of our dad and we're going to what's that his heart his very spirit his very nature what the holy spirit is revealing inside of us is his nature and to do it his way is so different than the world's way it's counterculture Again, I just, I, you know, if you get a chance, go watch the whole video. It's on the U Church website of Carol Wimber. And I, I just tip my hat and I go, at what age she is, it's, it's kind of like a, it's like an Abraham, you know, at 80, whatever he was, he heard God. Go to the next direction. Take the next adventure. Leave it all behind because I got something. You don't even know this, Abraham. You can't have children. That's what you think. But uh, let me show you something, man. The entire, all, look, look, let's look at the sand, look at the stars. You can't even hope or imagine all I have in store for you. Oh my gosh. This is so big. Last part of the verse is, and you will never feel orphan. Romans 8, 14 and 15 and 16. For as he rises up within us, that vessel that was rising up, that's not just you rising up. James chapter 4 in if you humble yourself, he will exalt you. He's not just rising up so we get exalted in the planet. It's so that the good works will be shining on the hill. And as we rise up, if you will, it's a picture of our hearts being able to hold more of him. As we rise, and he rises up within us, he says. As that happens, our spirits, who know more about us than our head does, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. Oh, we're family. Oh, we're family. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. For those who've watched on these calls, you can see behind me four words for love, the Greek words. Storge, filio, eros, and agapeo. And I know if you can see it very well, it's a talk I did a while back, but underneath of it is, is intended to be your heart. And I always wondered about the four loves. I thought we were trying to get to agape. I thought that's where we're called to live, to unconditionally. 
absolutely, we're going to live unconditionally. But then I found out my patience would run out or my joy would get stolen away. Didn't matter how many outreaches we did, how many people came to faith. And Kevin, you were around in the days of Christian Center. We did outreaches down in Kelowna and like 600 people in one shot. Like, boom, just bang. Miracles. Debbie, if you remember Kevin, Debbie getting out of her wheelchair, paraplegic that went in a car accident. I mean, the miracles, un untold miracles. It was just incredible. And I'm, I'm feeling like, man, we're, we're close. We're, this is the unconditional love of God coming through just us teenagers and young adults that would just go out and do it without any, any, and he just did that. Not because they were instruments, if you will, of perfection. They were just willing to be childlike and take a risk. Not everybody that got prayed for got healed, but they took a risk. They kept going. They kept they just trying to listen to him. And that became the journey. And then realization, there was more pebbles in our stuff than we had before. This, this gets interesting because now what I didn't see is what I wrote, what I pictured here. And this is came out of one of the A schools. This is the one at Kananaskis that we attended at Snarley. And it's the picture of our hearts for us to quote, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. What does that mean? Well, he says in Corinthians, I'll be a father too, and you will be my sons and daughters. The highest level of authority is sons and daughters. Not fivefold ministry. They prepare us. They prepare the body to grow up into the unity of faith, to grow up into their sonship. And then in that unity, in the body, is what goes around the world and touches not fivefold ministries in their top positions, if you will. It's the reverse. But guess what they do? Guess what the Holy Spirit does? He does this. He shows us the storge love, the parental love, the nurturing love of God is our father. And he's parenting us. And we've just never been used to it. I don't think any, I've, I haven't talked to that many people. If some, occasionally when I come across someone who had these parents that really loved them, I can tell they have a, a sense of wellness about them but they, they still have to make the leap to God's parenting them. And, and it's a, such a beautiful trust. It's the childlike trust I see my grandchildren now. For the most part, they fully trust. And they don't even understand the concept of love. They're just experiencing it. And we're being called into that childlikeness, into that place to receive his. That store gate is the foundation. You might consider yourself having brotherly love for someone or some in a marriage relationship, intimacy, eros, connection. But it's amazing how you can, those things can seem to come and go. Your, even your sense of agape love that you're fully out there just doing this stuff. And then the next day you're all about yourself. <laughs> it's all about you again. And you're like disappointed again or the marriage. Okay. We had eros and then now we're having a tough time. Or our brothers and sisters, we're, we're loving our family, our church, we're in a bunch of people, and then someone hurts us, and something doesn't go the way, we, and we're like, okay. And then we go, hang on, what's going on? Well, we really didn't actually have that, the love. We could only give what we've received. That's why storge love, the nurturing love of the father and the mother, the mothering heart of God, is critical. Those potter's hands are a parent's hands, him parenting our hearts. And it's mm, all the time he's with us. And when we forget that, or when we get disturbed by the, the barking dog or, or the situations, 
that's when our heart goes back. <gasps> I wonder if he cares for me. When, when it's going on. No, he's, he's actually still there. He's in our boat. He's the spirit. She is preparing us. She's standing. She's in the gap. She's some versions taller. She's in between. She keeps reminding our hearts of the reality of this. It sounds like I'm beating a broken drum sometimes because I really feel at the same time, God's waiting in there's this, well, not waiting, but there's this sense of excitement in him that the more we get this, when the Holy Spirit makes his fatherhood real to us and we are able to cry out, we're, we're his beloved child, you can't help let it come out of you. And instead of having to go to a course on how do you prophesy or how do you lay hands on the sick or the disciples had none of that stuff. They lay, they raised people from the dead. <laughs> they spoke that you and I are here today because that first group walked in this without a bunch of, and that doesn't mean I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not throwing rocks at all that stuff. I'm just saying, if we think more education, more knowledge, or more of that is going to solve our problems or get us prepared. No, he prepares us. He really does. As we take these risks and we take these steps and because he unfolds us into a family, we don't try and do it alone. We get to do it with others. This is the beauty. This is, this is why you don't have to quote, be a member of a church. You can't help be part of his family. If love is pouring into your heart, you're already knit together. You're already being formed together individually and corporately into that living temple where he lives. I know this sounds, I don't know what it sounds like to you guys, but listen to this. Now Christ lives in you, Paul says. His life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. That life that flows in us that we long for, that river of living water, that springs of living water, flow when we understand, believe, and receive the experience we're fully accepted by God. You have received the spirit of full acceptance, sonship, consecrated children, Paul's telling them. We read these verses in Romans 8 and 7, and they're pretty tough. But I love the honesty that Paul says before he writes this to them. He says, there's still things that I'm doing that I don't want to do. And there's still things I want to do I don't do. And there's things I end up doing that I didn't want to do. Oh, but that's not me, he says. That's not the vessel. That's not the original intention. That's not the gifts and callings that are irrevocable, by the way. That is the impurities still in me. The sin that's still in my heart, not the things I've done, but the thing that drives that, that unbelief yet, that separation of parts of my heart that have not yet received the nurturing, storge, nurturing love of God. Because when that happens, life flows and it doesn't just fill you up, it flows out of us. I'm not saying anything that most of us don't already understand or know. But I am saying that what he told me this morning encourage them. I am a father. And sometimes it feels like a gardener going to prune, but I do it so that your love will remain. So that fruit will remain. That's how, you know, when you're not Psalm 139, you can ask him, you can ask him. 
Are there any clean weight? What's, what's in me? Be bold enough to ask him. I was talking with someone the other day and we were just talking about how many people we know have not asked the father a question in weeks. It's almost like I just assume he's leading me. But children, I don't know if how many of you have had children or you have, <laughs> they're asking questions nonstop. Nonstop. It's like, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I eat this? Can, where's that going? Who, what, when, what, 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 when, where, how? And it's just a beautiful picture that we can do that. And I just want to encourage this. If we're going to believe for what I can see coming, when I, when I watch that video of Carol Wimber and you get to watch it on the line, if you want, what I heard was us, this, this generation that's right now receiving this in this journey into this adventure into sonship has the opportunity to be torchbearers to a generation that's coming. They're hungry for the reality of God, not for the organization of the kingdom, the way it's been described as churches and this and that. They're looking for full-on life impartion presence. Cecil, this is your moment. You said this on, and you did it so succinctly, but what happened to you that night? Um, <clears throat> I, I, we were sharing our journeys, you know, and, and some of the adventures and, and uh, the, uh, the speaker, what's his name, John, had, um, you know, Mark. Yeah. Also, John or Mark, yeah. John Eldridge, John Eldridge, and uh, different um, sort of levels of of adventure that uh, God created us to enter into and partake of, and, and so we were sharing our journeys, and and um, near the end of what I was sharing, I said, you know, the the journey that I'm on right now of um, understanding and receiving the father's love and sonship like that's 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 all that i know at the moment of my journey you know of my adventure in this in this portion of time and i was sharing about partaking um in some of the conferences from new zealand and um mark head is often interviewing and whatnot and i heard him speak a couple of times and I really enjoyed his teaching. He uses a whiteboard and he's very practical and uh, give you some good food for thought. But at the end, when that, when that man prayed, and I've heard him pray this twice, and it changed my life in that moment. He said, okay, we're going to pray now. He said, Father, thank you that you're loving us right now. And um, I suppose it's not uncommon for us to have no words for something that Father does within us, something that the Holy Spirit does. And I have no words. But in that moment of time, I just sat there in awe and wonder. And something changed in me. Something awakened in me. So I received something that I'd never received before. And then Mark was on to pray. You know, if he sensed the Lord before you, above you, around you, behind you, inside you. And it, it just seemed to intensify this, this um, 
reality experience that left me changed. Um, yeah, so I, I believe that's what you're referring to, Grant, uh, uh, when you ask me to share. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I can't ever remember a time in my life before when I knew something happened in a moment and Father, I'm changed forever. I don't know how big of a change, but I know there's a change. I, I can't ever point to another, you know, from years past, conferences or anything, where I knew in a moment of time something had changed. But So what an amazing thing for a father to do in me. If you imagine the disciples, after all the disappointments, after a high, high, like high note, and then death and resurrection of their hero, they didn't know he's resurrected initially, and then boom. And uh, but he says, "Now go wait for this," and he waits for what we've just described. They go wait, and they didn't have Paul to describe it the way we've read it, and all these letters to the Ephesians and the Corinthians and the Romans, all these little lines as he tries to put, see, it's like what you just said, how hard is it to put into words the reality of the mystery of the very essence of God, his spirit, him. How do you put that into words that make sense to a logical brain? It's, it's impossible. Only things of the spirit discern the spirit. Our spirit, your spirit, Cecil, was open and received right then. These guys didn't have a New Testament. They, we know they kind of wrote it years later. They're trying to put into words and stimulated by the stories and knowing that nothing, no amount of cajoling or convincing will do this, only but the, the reality of it. And I think there's a hunger and a thirst in me and all of, many of us, I know, those that join us on Wednesday mornings and sometimes the Wednesday nights with in those conferences and things. It's, it's not because we're seeking necessarily more knowledge. We're, 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 we're experiencing his fathering and his mothering in those moments. And that's what anointing really is, the very presence, the very life of God is coming through. And I long for the day when we're all in that place. I'm longing for the day, not just my children, but my children's children now. This is the treasure. This is the, the treasure to guard, guard this deposit, Paul told Timothy. You know, don't let this world, don't let these storms, don't let these frustrating adventures take this out of you. And when you find someone that's caught and they're, they're trespassing, it doesn't mean they've done something stupid. They're, 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 gravitating away in hebrews it says you know this is watch out for them and that they don't miss out on this grace be reminded speak the truth to one another in love what's what's that well i notice you're doing something bad and you should stop no the truth is him he is the truth speak him his sonship into each of our hearts 
what is the father? One of the things I'm learning is before I go to talk to anyone, if I have anything I think I'm supposed to say, I've learned this habit now to ask him, Father, what do you want to say about this person? What are you saying? And it's usually way much bigger and way more different than what I would have come up with. And it usually is he wants me, wants to remind you of who you are. Sometimes it even goes first person, boom, just straight up. Each of you, all of us, he's preparing us. And if you get a chance to watch that video, please do kind of let your heart drink it in. It's on the website. The last five minutes, though, are the, the key for me, just because of the nature of the words that just say, and he wants everybody to be in their place, to, to be living in their calling, to be prepared, if you will. They are being be prepared, but to be there because... He doesn't want his kids to miss out on what he's doing. And he's doing it in and through us. And the neatest part, it's not like you're waiting for it to happen around us. It's actually in us and leaning in. And it's, sometimes we just get overwhelmed. We're asleep. I think for me, it's been to subtle waiting for this thing to end. And then we go into another bunch of lockdowns and you go, ah, and I go, okay, am I been hoping that the storm stops so that I can get on with my version of what life is? Or can I get to be like you, Jesus, to have this peace regardless of the storm? And in that, can you imagine if you were in that boat with those disciples and then they, he did what they asked, silence the storm, and he did. <laughs> and now they're becalmed in the middle of wherever, there's no wind. Who knows if they have their oars left or anything. And now you can imagine a very long conversation is about to ensue. And if you read the scripture, they talk about this lack of trust. And he's revealing in the storm what's in their hearts. And that's okay. That's why it's okay to ask those questions using Psalm 139, those two verses, 23, verse 23 and 24, I think it is. What's going on in me? What are you doing? What, what's your store gay love going after? And Cecil, even if you don't even have the words, <laughs> or Sue sitting around this morning and going, mm, there's a volcano, something there is still popping up. And you know, he doesn't even have to explain it all. I've always wanted to know the whys. That's always been my, I want to know the whys. But I'm learning to become like, no, I'm just going to be like this. Just pour that nurturement, pour that love in and help me to be still and know. And uh, go for it, so.